0: Well, good morning and Merry Christmas in just one week. It's almost here. I hope that you are well on your way uh, to being ready. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the first chapter, as we are continuing our series, God With Us. This is uh, what we've been studying this week, looking at the prologue uh, to John's Gospel, the first 18 verses of chapter 1, where John gives us, A view of Christmas like from above, Christmas from the perspective of eternity, or Christmas from a cosmic viewpoint. While you're getting to that place, I just want to remind you of something that's going on here at Southwinds. We are in this season of receiving our 2017 Christmas offering. Our goal this year is $20,000, and we're going to be using these gifts like we do every year uh, to meet needs of families uh, in our community first but also to meet needs uh, for God's kingdom work all around the world. Among the things that we're going to be doing uh, through this offering is uh, supporting some church planting work uh, in the nation of India, as we've been doing for a couple of years now. And we've also already made a contribution to support the work of uh, a ministry that is dealing with victims of sex trafficking in Berlin, Germany, uh, where Johnny Bruder, who grew up here at Southland, some of you would know him, is serving right now along with his wife, Rachel. And so we just tell you about this to remind you uh, to be praying and letting God speak to you about what he would have you to give. I hope that you will give generously uh, to make a difference uh, through this offering in lives of people here in Tracy, in our area, and also around the world. Now, as we are working our way through John's prologue, um, and thinking about Christmas, I, I think that we would would all agree there's something enchanting, there's something even supernatural about Christmas. And we do lots of things in our celebration that make it this way. We, we, we decorate our, our homes like we don't any other time of the year. We turn on music that we don't listen to any other time of the year. We cook and we bake special foods that we only have this time of the year. But most of all, Christmas is special. Christmas is even supernatural because it's the season of gift giving. We give gifts at Christmas like no other time of the year. And that is usually a really, really good thing, but not always. I came across a video this week that I just thought I had to share with you because I know every parent has experienced something like this at least once on Christmas morning. So go ahead and watch this. All right. How many parents have been right there? Raise your hands. I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Uh, I heard one time somebody said that that grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your own children. Now, I myself would not know about that, but, you know, some of you do. And, uh, you know, as adults, it's kind of interesting. Sometimes we get disappointed in the gifts we receive too, right? We're we're just better at hiding our, our feelings, you know, for example, you tell your husband you want shoes, and you tell him because you need to tell him the size, and you need to tell him the color, and you need to tell him, you know, the exact link to the place where he can get these things, but he just wants to think outside the shoebox this year. And so you open your present on Christmas morning, and it's a box of Nutrisystem. <laughs> and I know where he'll be sleeping tonight. Um Or maybe it's the guy and he, this year he wants an iPhone 10 and that's all he needs and that's all he wants and he gets a little box and it's the right size and it feels like the right weight and he opens it up and he digs in and it's a pair of nose hair clippers and, you know, to get those nose hairs that boldly go where no other nose hairs have ever gone before and, you know, he doesn't get what he wants, he gets what he needs It's kind of interesting, when you look at the gift that was given away at the manger that first Christmas, on the outside, it didn't really look much like a gift, right? A baby, just a baby, born to peasant parents, to a teenage mom, and a a sleepy-eyed carpenter, and the only visitors that this baby got, animals and outcast shepherds. You know, this baby may not have been the gift that the world wanted, but he was the gift That we all need, right? Jesus was the gift that changed everything. And what we're going to do today is explore some aspects of that gift, of God's gift to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 18 of John chapter 1. And in these verses, John talks about some aspects of the gift that sometimes we overlook. And I really think that if you will truly listen and you will truly take in what God's Word is saying to us, you're going to experience, maybe in a fresh way, some of the wonder of Christmas. So follow along as we read, verses 9 following all the way through verse 18. John writes, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, press pause right there for a moment. Do you see the irony of that? I mean, we've been talking about Jesus. The Word is the creator of everything that exists. He created it all. He created us. But when he came to us, we are his own that he made, but we didn't receive him. We didn't recognize him when he came to earth. John says, though some did, verse 12, yet to all who received him, John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Now, in verses 12 through 18, uh, John talks about three aspects of this first gift of Christmas that you have already received if you are a follower of Christ. If you are someone who has received the gift of Christmas, you've believed in the name of Jesus, received him, you already have these three things. But sometimes we forget. Sometimes we overlook these things. And so what we're going to do this morning is unwrap them. We're going to dig into what we got when we receive God's gift of Jesus. Here's the first thing, and it's so important. It's life transforming. When I receive God's gift of Jesus, I become a member of God's family. See, God didn't just send Jesus to become a child. He did it so we could become his children. But look again at what John says, it's the first part of the gift, and this is so very powerful. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And do you realize, do you understand deep, deep down, we all long for this. Everyone wants to be part of a family. You know, some of us, as we come together on this morning, some of us, we're blessed. We, we grew up in reasonably healthy families, right? We look back and we have good memories about our families. But I, I know for others of us, the word family is a painful word. Our, our experience of family was unhealthy, sometimes destructive, sometimes even abusive, for, for some of us, we hear family and what we think of as abandonment because maybe we had a parent who just left and they never came back. Maybe we had a parent who was there physically, but they were absent emotionally. Maybe your father died when you were a child, like someone that I was speaking to recently. See, the gift of Christmas, this gift means that I can be part of a family And in this family, I have a perfect father who always helps me, who always wants what is best for me. And unlike imperfect earthly parents, this father always knows what is best for me. I have a father in this family who's never going to leave. Now, John says something very important about how you get into this family. He says, you don't get into this family because of your heritage. Did you notice that phrase, natural descent? In the Greek text, this is one word, and it's literally translated, bloods. You don't get into this family because of your ancestry, because of your heritage, because of your DNA. He says, you also don't get into this family because someone has made the right decisions or someone has a strong will. John is just telling us we get into God's family for one reason only, and that is because God sovereignly gives us spiritual life. You see, the gift of inclusion in God's family is a gift of God's grace. It's something we can never earn. We just receive it, as John says. And we receive that gift when we come into a relationship with Jesus, God's son. That's what John means when we, he says we believe in his name. We come into this relationship when we receive what Jesus did for us, when he died for our sins on the cross, and we are now forgiven because of that death. We are now made righteous because of his life. And as a result of this, we can be adopted into God's family. This verse is very important to remind us of something that we get mixed up with sometimes in our culture today. Uh, We are not naturally born into God's family. We are not all God's children. Not in the terms the Bible uses. The Bible says we're born sinful. We're born spiritually dead God forgives us, and God adopts us, and that's how we get in. Now, don't be confused. Don't be mistaken. We're all made in God's image, and therefore, because we're made in God's image, we all have value. But not everyone is God's child. Only those who have come into a relationship with God through his son Jesus are God's child. That's the only way to get in. Now, Just think about what this means for us. What this is telling us is that Christmas is an adoption story. Have you ever thought about it like that? It's an adoption story. It's the story of your adoption into God's family. It's the story of how God came and he intersected your life and he adopted you at just the right time. How many of you are aware in your life that God met you and God saved you at just the right time? Do you know that happened in your life? Some of you realize, I wouldn't be here, like I wouldn't be alive if God hadn't met me at just the right time. Others of you know my life would be so very, very different. God came, God adopted us at just the right time. And this is what he did when he sent his son too. He sent Jesus at just the right time. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter four. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And this is so beautiful. You probably know Abba is the Aramaic equivalent of our word Papa or or Daddy. And this tells us the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. God is saying to us through Christmas, I came so I could adopt you into my family as my child, having a relationship with you. You can call me Papa, Daddy. See, we're not slaves to sin anymore. We are God's adopted children. God has made us his heirs. Galatians 4, 7 says, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you. His heir. Uh, Some time ago, I was talking to someone here at Southwinds who's adopted uh, children, and they were telling me about the time that they went uh, to the San Joaquin County Courthouse, and they stood there before a judge, and they actually took vows as they were officially adopting their children. They held up their right hands, and the judge asked them This question, do you promise to love and care for this child just as your own, including this child in all inheritance, just like any biological child? And when they said yes, the judge said, I now pronounce you officially a child of this family forever. And God says that to all who trust in his son. God says, you are my child forever. Forever. I I think this was even more powerful in the Roman world than it is today, because in in the Roman world, um, this meant so much more. This concept of adoption. The people in New Testament times lived in a world where there were no social programs. There was no security for you socially. There was no welfare. There was no retirement. Everything that you would have or ever would have was linked to your family. And that meant if you didn't have a family that was connected or a family that was wealthy, a family that could take care of you, that meant you were basically doomed as long as you lived, just to live as a slave or maybe an indentured servant. But Roman law allowed for a father to adopt someone into his family. And when that happened, it, it meant that the past was erased. You not only had the father's love As an adopted child, you now had all the father's wealth, all the father's connections, all the father's estate and and property. All of it was legally yours. You had full rights of a biological child. And John is just saying to us, God sent his son into this world to make you his children yeah, see, when we know that, it just changes everything. You know, we're, we're in a time in our culture where everybody's thinking about identity. What's, what's my identity? And, and we can get so consumed in trying to establish identity. Well, this tells us you don't need to strive to make your own identity up. You don't need to worry about building up your own self-esteem. You already know who you are if you believe what God has said about you. You are a child of the Heavenly Father, and that matters more than anything. John is just saying, the reason God sent Jesus to earth is to establish this relationship. And if you are secure in that, it will set you free. If you're secure in that, you can quit striving, you can quit worrying, you can just rest trusting. I am a child of the Father. I am God's heir. You know, if I could put John's message into like a tweet... I think I'd put it sort of like this. God the creator became a child so that you might become a child of God. That's the gift of Christmas. And you will never understand that gift until you get this, until you grasp this. It's kind of interesting. When this happens, something else happens inside us. When you know and when you rest in the reality that you are a child of God, you will want others to know that too. You will want to reach out to others who are lost and lonely children. And when you realize what we get, that we don't have to strive to earn it any more than a child ever has to strive to earn an adoption, that it's all just a gift, our heart goes out to others. And, you know, this is why we do... The things that we do, especially at Christmas. This is why we we, we receive an offering to give to people in Europe and people in South Asia. It's why we, we take an offering up and we've sent thousands of dollars for disaster relief to help people who have lost everything. This is why we reach out to our neighbors and reach out to our coworkers and do all that we can to invite them to know the love that we have in Jesus Christ. We've been adopted we've received this gift, we want them to know it as well. This is so powerful when you get it, when you begin to unwrap this gift that you're part of God's family, but it gets better. This is not all. But you see the second thing that John says happens when we receive the gift of Jesus. Number two, God reveals his glory to me. Now, I'm going to read a verse that you've read a hundred times before, but if you really get what's being said here, it's just going to blow your mind. It's uh, John 1.14, where John writes, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we've been talking about what it means for Jesus to become a fully human, the word becoming flesh. I want to focus right now on that phrase. We have seen his glory. What does that mean? And we will not understand what John, as, as a Jewish man, is talking about until we understand this reference to the glory of the Lord. Scholars agree that John is looking back to this amazing story in the book of Exodus. You find it uh, in chapters 32 through 34 and, and, and it kind of begins as we're look, thinking about it in Exodus 33, 18, where Moses says, now show me your glory. He asked God to show him his glory. And when you hear a request like that, what would you think is going to happen next? If you've been reading in Exodus, the people are at Mount Sinai. There's thunder and lightning. There's smoke and fire. It's like shock and awe. What is the glory of God? What is Moses asking for? And what happens next is pretty amazing because God reveals something of His heart. Moses gets to see something of the essence of God, who God really is, His glory. Let me give you the context historically. In the chapter before, uh, chapter thirty-three, Exodus thirty-two, the people of Israel have rebelled against God. You know, Moses has been up on the mountain receiving the law, and he's staying too long. They think and. They set up an idol. They start worshiping it. We read that they're committing immorality. You need to understand what that means is they're having an orgy. Thousands of people, uh, you know, just sitting in horrible ways. And God tells Moses what is going on. And Moses has had it with these people. And that's what he tells God. He says, God, I've had it with these people. And if you read between the lines, you'll see that Moses is kind of saying, God, I'm not too pleased with you either. And he he says, God, I don't think I can keep going on. I need you to show me who you are uh, to give me strength. I need you to show me your glory. It's like I don't even care if it kills me. I just want to see your majesty. And God responds by saying something kind of strange. God says, you can't see me because it will destroy you. He says, Moses, you really can't handle it. He says, but I'm going to show you my back. Now, we know that God doesn't have a body so... This is just God using language that's small enough for our small minds to try to comprehend. He's really just saying, I'm going to show you a part of me. I'm going to show you all that you can handle. I'm going to show you my radiance. I'm going to show you my glory. And what happens next is where this begins to come together. In Exodus uh, 34, beginning in verse 5, It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming. Now, at Sinai, what would you expect that is going to happen next if you didn't know? You know, would you think it's going to be lightning and thunder? That's the glory of God, you know, smoke and fire and shock and awe. Maybe you would think God's going to say, You know, thunder down, thou art a disappointment, all of you. And. Thy people are a disappointment, and I shall smite thee. You know, something like that. I mean, that would be the glory, the majesty of God, right? But God says something very different. God says, as he shows Moses' glory, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, Rebellion and sin. In other words, this is God's glory. Compassionate. That that word in Hebrew means love rooted in a deep bond. God has a deep bond with his people. Gracious, which means getting something you don't deserve. A gift. God is a gift giver. Slow to anger. Anger. Now, despite popular misconceptions, God does not have an anger management problem. God is not in a hurry to judge sinners. Anyone here so really, really very, very glad for that? God is abounding in love and faithfulness. I mean, just think about this. God is not only love and faithfulness, he's abounding in it. And this is so huge. Huge. Think about it because there are many of you here, you have had in your life, someone tell you, I love you. And then later on, they tell you, I don't love you anymore. God is not like that. God is saying, I will never do that. I I abound in love and faithfulness. It just overflows from me toward you. He says, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving the good people who deserve forgiveness. Is that what it says? No forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He he maintains this love. In other words, uh, daily, constantly, moment by moment, his love is just showering out on us. And this is what God is saying. God is saying to Moses, he's saying to us still today, this is my glory. This is what makes me glorious. And see, when John says... As an apostle, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is trying to explain to us is all the ways that Moses heard God describing his glory. John says, We saw that in Jesus, we saw that in the flesh. We saw in Jesus, born in a lowly manger, in humility. That's where we saw God's glory, and he abounded so much in love toward us that he came down to earth to become one of us. John is saying we saw God's glory in Jesus as he received sinners without condemning them. As he said to that woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. The glory of a God who is gracious, we saw it in the flesh, John is saying, you know, Moses, Moses heard it described, but we saw it with our eyes. We saw Jesus tortured and spat on and mocked and this man who had performed powerful miracles, stilling storms and creating food out of nothing, he refused to do anything to set himself free or to get revenge on his enemies. Jesus only said, "Father, forgive them; they do not know what they do." John says we saw God's glory. He's saying we saw God's glory on the cross when Jesus gave everything he had to pay all of the guilt of our sins so that nothing could prevent anyone who is willing from having a relationship with a holy God. John is just trying to tell us, Moses brushed up against it, this glory of God, but we saw it we beheld it with our eyes, we stared at it, we touched it, we heard it with our ears, we experienced it with all of our senses. This is what he's talking about when he says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. He's just saying, I've told you this before this month, you want an explanation of God, you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. That's what God is like. The Word became flesh. You see, as we unwrap this gift, we are seeing that we get the right to become members of God's own family, to get adopted into God's family. We are seeing that we get to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, and that's pretty good, amen? But that's not all. It still gets better. As we unwrap this gift, we're going to get to the very center. What happens when we receive this gift of Jesus? Number three, write this down. I receive an infinite supply of God's grace. Watch this and just kind of let it build, okay? John says in verses 16 and 17, Out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, someone has said that you could say almost infinite things about this verse. How many of you want to say amen that I'm not going to say infinite things about this verse this morning? <laughs> I just want to unwrap one core phrase. What does he mean when he says grace upon grace? Grace. You've probably heard before that grace is God's unmerited favor, grace is an undeserved blessing, grace is a a gift. In the Greek text, this phrase that translated grace upon grace could also be translated, grace in the place of grace. Idea would be that grace just keeps replacing itself. One scholar said it's like ocean waves. You know, you go to the beach and you stand there on the sand and you watch the waves and they roll in and one wave rolls in and another wave rolls in on top of that one. They just keep coming. They just never end. They just never stop. And that's how John is framing this in the, in the Greek text. This idea of waves of grace just rolling over us. He's just telling us we are literally, if we've been adopted into God's family and God has given us a revelation of his glory, we're in relationship with him, we've received the gift of Jesus Christ, then we are just literally engulfed in waves of rolling Grace, fresh grace every moment. You don't move on past grace. You don't have to live on stale grace. It's just grace replacing grace, replacing grace, replacing grace, replacing grace. It just keeps coming. Grace upon grace upon grace. Grace like a flowing river, flowing constantly every moment of every hour of every day of your life. There is no moment you have to live apart from God's grace. You are never apart from the satisfying overwhelming goodness God that goodness that is shown through Jesus Christ in grace to sinners like you and sinners like me aren't you glad John tells us this anybody here needs some fresh grace today The Bible says this in Lamentations 3. Many of you know this verse. It's a favorite verse, a passage for many of us. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, never stale grace. And this is so important because you know this, right? Sometimes you sin, and sometimes after you sin, sometimes you think, don't you? I wonder if God hates me now. (laughs) I wonder if God's going to give up on me now. I wonder if God's going to look at me like, you know, an experiment just didn't work out with that one. But there are no gaps in God's grace. He just maintains relentless grace towards you, wave after wave after wave. And that's so amazing, so amazing. Just think about what John has told us. Just think about what we unwrapped here, Uh, what we as followers of Christ have received. We've received the right to become a part of God's family forever. Can't be taken away. Can't be taken away. We we get to see God's glory. We get to experience God's grace that overwhelms us and overflows our lives. So how do you respond? to all that. And I want to tell you, there's only one adequate response. It's the way Moses responds. We saw it back in Exodus 34. If you read the whole passage, it says this, verse 8, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. It's all we can do. We can just worship. Now, we're going to do that in just a moment together as we continue to worship God in our service. But before we get there, I want to suggest to you this week this week leading up to Christmas, that you just continue to immerse yourself in this gift. If you want to think of it this way, just keep unwrapping the present every day. This is a present you don't have to unwrap only once and then it's over. You just can keep unwrapping it just every day between now and next week when we come to the celebration of Christmas. Just make these truths real again in your life. Pray about them. Thank God for them. Rediscover the wonder of them. And if you'll do that, when you come back next weekend for Christmas Eve services on Saturday and Sunday, you're going to be ready to worship. And we're going to have four beautiful services you've been hearing about the times, and, and I hope you're going to be getting ready for them. And I'm going to ask you to do two things during this week. Number one, will you pray for me and pray for our pastors as we prepare Uh, for these services that the message I share about the light of God would be compelling and would draw people to Jesus and come into to know him maybe for the very first time? And then second, would you invite more people to come? Some of you have taken invite cards and you've taken them out. Some of you haven't done that yet. This is your last chance, okay? grab an invite card or two, grab a handful if you'll use them, and invite anyone that God opens a door for you to invite. Do that this week. Two things, pray and invite, and we're going to come back together, and it's going to be a beautiful time. We're going to celebrate, and we're going to see God change some lives. Now, Having said all that, I'm aware that there may be someone here who hears this and thinks, well, you know, that sounds, that sounds pretty beautiful, but you know, I just I don't deserve it. And I just want to remind you, that's why God gives it as a gift. Because you don't deserve it. No one deserves it. But God knows. God knows that you need it. And God wants to give it to you. He is just saying today, he's reminding some of you today, you don't have to earn this gift of relationship with me. Jesus is my gift to you. And if you'll receive this gift, you will enjoy this gift for the rest of your life and out on into eternity. You'll be part of my family. You'll get to see my glory and you'll get to experience my grace. So, you've never received that or you're not sure. In just a moment, when we pray, I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to ask God to forgive your sins and to become your Lord. And then you can know the gift of Christmas that God has for all his children. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, um, we just give you thanks for your love for us. And Lord, we, we confess to you that it's so easy, so easy at Christmas to get familiar with everything and kind of lose the wonder of what you have done in sending your son. We just forget how spectacular the gift of Jesus is. Lord, remind us today, uh, renew our joy today as we contemplate all that you've given to us. And I just pray, Lord, that those who have already received the gift of Jesus will just keep soaking in it this week, whether they're sitting in traffic or they're shopping at the mall or listening to the news, whatever we're doing, may we realize again that there's something beyond all of what's in this world that is here to overwhelm us with your goodness and your glory and your grace. And God, I also pray that if there is anyone here who says, I I want that, I want to know God, I want to follow Jesus, and I don't understand it all, but I want to. Lord, I pray that that even now they would reach out to you and they would ask you to come into their lives. I pray, Lord, that they would pray. I turn from my sins in repentance and I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me and I receive you into my life. I, I need you. Lord, may lives be changed even now as your Holy Spirit moves among us. We give you thanks for the gift that you sent that first Christmas We give you thanks and praise for all that is ours in Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. All God's people together said.